My name is Holly Pearson, and I am here interviewing Dave Tool. And if you could please introduce yourself. Sure. I'm Dave Tool. I'm a UCSB alumni, and I'm CEO chairman of a business foundry called Outthink. And one of our ventures is a nonprofit called Our Media. And that's what I believe we're here to talk about today. And uh, I'm very passionate from having been exposed to a great education at UCSB. And it influenced me in trying to find a blend between social and commercial sustainability. So we'll, we'll share some of the things that I'm involved in that hopefully help support that. So yes, I was going to ask, how did you get involved in media and technology studies? But it sounds like it started back at UCSB. Yeah, um, when I went to UCSB, there were a few things I did out of the box. That's how I, I operate. Uh, one was I got exposed to something called the ARPANET, which was the predecessor to the internet. And I saw it was a way people were going to be able to access information. But what I really got excited about was knowledge sharing. And, and the internet really never met that purpose. It got monetized by advertising and clickbait. And so it's been a, a, something that impacted me since my time there. I was a professional musician. So uh, I've always been uh, using music as a medium to communicate and uh, have always been interested in how we exchange information between people. And Santa Barbara was uh, the start of that. And then I applied it in business um, as I helped build the technology industry. After I graduated, uh, the semiconductor industry, which powered our electronics and a lot of jobs, and I saw the power of visual communications. And then I sold a public company I had built and was uh, hired by Intel to craft a 20-year computing vision. And that brought media and technology together in the cloud. I was going to also ask more on the growth of technology in the 21st century. You mentioned how we went from ARPNET to, or ARPANET, I'm so sorry if I'm butchering that, oh, to no, um, the internet and how you mentioned like the power of technology and like how it's changed. So if you could mention more about like the growth of technology in the 21st century. Sure. I, I think that I'll start with something that people don't report on. And the significant change occurred a couple, three years ago, where the impact of technology on society is now exponential. So we have to learn how to be more adaptive because it's accelerating its impact on humanity. And I, we're just not prepared for it. And, and so I was one of the early members of the Center for Information Technology and Society on campus, probably close to 20 years ago. We saw um, people didn't really understand what was coming and trust of information exchange. And, uh, and that was before Web2 was here, before social media was here. And there was some great research done. And we, and we wanted to help people understand uh, the implications on society. And, and that's only accelerated. So if you look at the 20th century, 
uh, we're now all connected. Before that, we weren't. Um, we all can exchange experiences. Before we couldn't, it had to be face-to-face. And now with things like chat GPT and AI, it's accelerating. Um, Does it become the metaverse? I think that's going to be further out, uh, but it will redefine how we exchange our experiences together. And, you know, it's exciting. It's got a lot of cool stuff, but it can be weaponized as it has. It can produce uh, misinformation, which it does. And, and we have to be able to recognize it and, and hold it accountable to serve us. Another question I was going to ask you is what technologies have made an impact on your life? I know you mentioned social media as being a new thing and accelerations of all kinds of technologies. So what is a technology that has specifically you think made an impact for your life? Well, uh, I'll, there, there are two or three. One, um, I'm a songwriter. And on the weekend, I collaborate with people in different locations. A professor at ASU who runs the recording uh, uh, studios there and with other musicians. And so we're able to exchange our ideas and build something new together. So, you know, that that's something that wasn't available five or seven years ago. If you look at the implication of, um, uh, I I happen to help define distributed computing. If you look at uh, the ability to find expertise in different locations is now at our fingertips. If you look at at the deeper technology side, um, what's going on with artificial intelligence, we're just starting to understand it, which we don't. And, And we're grappling with the ethics of it. But on the other hand, it's a co-pilot. We now have the ability, in essence, to have a professor as a co-pilot. What, what, what does that mean to us? Um, and, and it's just going to build uh, in, its, in its trajectory uh, at a faster rate. So your generation and how you learn and how you exchange with each other um, is is been turned upside down like we haven't seen ever in history. That sort of leads into my next question too, which was more of about technologies, maybe not on a personal scale, but on more of a societal scale and how they can be maybe quote unquote game changers. So I was going to ask what are some game changers you think in this growth period of technology that we've seen? Uh, I I think uh, when quantum computing becomes uh, more prevalent, um, it's it's going to take what I just talked about and amplify it exponentially. Uh, UCSB happens to be doing some great work around quantum uh, computing, by the way, uh, and and it's going to change how we learn. It's going to change how we work. It's going to change how we live our lives. I hate to admit this, but I have to ask, what is quantum computing? And I'm going to say for the listeners. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, I'll try to keep it simple. Uh, so, so computing today is based on binary zeros and ones, 
and the computers process and transact that and then give you an outcome from it. Um, quantum computing, uh, instead of a zero and one, it's everything in between as well. And so it creates a richer fabric of how to exchange information. That's a very simple way uh, of putting it, but uh, it, it, it processes a uh, hundred times faster than computing today. Wow. And, and I'll share one more thing that um, China is um, trying to catch up and they're trying to leap ahead. And the 20 the somethings in China are on primetime television talking about quantum computing and AI. And it's, it's exciting for them, it's fun for them. And so they're embracing something that I will guarantee you will take jobs from people in America in another five years. How do you think AI specifically is a game changer like ChatGPT3? Um, as you mentioned, that's something that is like new in the conversation on a global scale. Yes. And, and I'll mention they just released GPT-4 yesterday. Wow. Okay. Yes. And, and so, so if you look at GPT-3, um, it's a called a large language model, which means they scrape what is said on the internet and they bring that together. So when you ask what's on the internet, it gives you something better than the popularity in a search engine. It gives you a, a better texture to that subject matter. GPT-4 takes that to a whole other league. So for one, the accuracy of that has been questionable with GPT-3. Now it's, it's up the game. So the accuracy rates are higher. Um, you know, there are people who are passing an MBA with uh, GPT-3. That'll be a no-brainer with GPT-4. Uh, the other thing is it starts moving from text to visual. So very soon, you know, we're, we're going to see the ability to replicate ourselves, um, our voices, our images, and um, it, it's going to be hard to determine what's real, what isn't. That's scary. On the other hand, um, if, if, if you want to learn at an accelerated rate, GPT-4 is amazing, and it will change the role of the educator. And, and so the university is going to be challenged in a big way to uh, reorient. And, and, and I would say the value of a professor is in, in the UC system, they're researchers, and they do the most amazing research. And I remember as a student, I never knew that. I never understood that's how the university was funded. And I bet most students don't. And in the research the professors are doing is amazing because they're curators of knowledge and they're sharing that where it's the cutting edge of what's known, what's being challenged. And, um, and if you look at chat or other AI, um, it, it, it brings that level of the known at a much higher level. And so it's gonna shift how we think about learning, how we can improve our skills. 
And, and I'm, I'm a big believer in, in, in work skills that you learn by the people around you. You learn by the skills you develop while you're working. And so a university gives you critical thinking. It gives you topical information and knowledge. And then you build on that. GPT-4 and 5 and 6 is just going to totally turn that upside down. It's going to be a lot about the questions that are answered in a class versus the questions that haven't easily been answered before. And they call that prompt engineering. And so that's going to be a really important skill, I believe, for almost every student. Yes. You've mentioned education and how that is definitely going to be a sphere of influence, per se, on how AI is functioning in the world. And I also wanted to ask what some other spheres of influence might be, including on a market level. I know you also mentioned that in your past, you worked in commercial um, and technology type stuff. Yeah. So how is this something that is it lucrative? And how could it being exposed to the market change how AI looks? So um, I, I sit on the governor's advisory board for workforce develop for the community workforce development for the community college system. There are 116 California community colleges, and and so if if you look at the education system and how it prepares you for work, and you would be surprised the the community colleges are about half uh, vocational. In, in half general education. And, and so if you look at what jobs are being created and what jobs earn more, you know, you, right now there's, I think, 1.6 million openings for computer science jobs. They pay $150,000 uh, in the early career side. Uh, so, so you you can look at you know if if you get a construction job and there are a lot of people who can hammer a nail, you're going to make less. Uh, as a musician, there are tons of musicians. It's hard to make money in that. So I I think as technology advances, those people who can make sense of it, who can help other people make sense out of it and who can apply it are the ones who are gonna have uh, an advantage in the workforce. And, you know, I, I think that we under um, uh, underperform in the relationship between the job opportunities and the education system. So most students, you know, I, I should go study this discipline because humanities might take me somewhere or engineering might take me somewhere, but most people don't realize what kind of jobs are in a business that pay different levels. And we need to bring that into the education system. So one, one last thing I'll say on that is, is we're moving from a left brain to a right brain workforce. So in the, in the industrial era, it was, do repetitive work and improve the efficiency of it. And we've, we've done a good job of optimizing that. So now it's going to be, how do you innovate? How are you creative? How are you using your imagination? 
I think that will start helping the humanities have a greater influence in the critical thinking going forward. So I, I, it's, an, it's exciting to see that shift. I know that you put on an event about um, AI and ChatGPT3 at UCSB's campus. Yes. And uh, um, is there anything that you would like to say about that? Or could you tell me about that or what the goal was? Sure. Um, our media, and it's O-U-R, like our media, uh, .org. And, and I'll give you just a moment. Our media... Um, has been around since the early 2000s. It was the first community of people who wanted to upload video and podcast to the internet and had no other place to do it. It was before YouTube. And there were 150,000 people gathered in that community. And then YouTube came and it got all buzzy and advertising and all that. Um, and so... Our media is focused really in trying to help surface the voice of your generation. And if, if its vision is successful, the goal is to build mentorship between my generation and your generation and, and do it in a way to help bring your voice up and help bring some of our wisdom from all the mistakes we've made along the way that might help reduce the probability of the Gen Z generation bumping into some of the same issues that we have. And so our goal is really using AI as a, as a vehicle to explore this and what it means to work, life, learning, and civics. And, and a big emphasis on civics and the fact that, you know, right now we've lost our way. We've, we've, we've let people define what the value of democracy is. And democracy recognizes our distinct differences and it, and it cherishes those differences. And, and recently uh, Biden had a bunch of TikTok folks come to the White House. And one of them said, huh, what, what, what is civics? I, I, I didn't learn a lot about that in my education. And, and so it's sort of been pushed aside. And, um, you know, it, it's uncomfortable to have differences. Um, but out of those differences, new things come and growth happens. If you look at nature, that's how nature works. It's ugly, it's violent, but great things come out of it. And so as, as technology comes along, what, what's it, what is it affording us? Um, what does your generation believe they would like out of it? So instead of it coming and saying, here's the behavior, if you want to uh, jump on technology, we're going to tell you how to behave. It should be the other way around. It should be human first. And technology is at the table, but not at the head of the table. And so our media's mission is really to help others encourage that conversation. And, um, you know, we did the event and, and we have a lot of people that would like to understand the formula we used and bring it to other campuses and spread it around. So was there anything that surprised you about 
sort of engaging civically with conversations about AI and technology? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was so pumped about the energy and the conversation in the room uh, between folks in Gen Z that were putting it on the table and, you know, saying, I like this, I don't like this, you know, I think you're off base. And, uh, and, and there were professors in the room and it wasn't that they had a distinct caste hierarchical position. They were sharing ideas because we're all trying to navigate through this. And, and so uh, I was, I, I would say I was surprised that it didn't take more effort. I think Tara, uh, who was facilitating it, and uh, she did a great job with Bruce in setting the stage for an open conversation. And uh, she's, she, she, she really shows that there's deep understanding, willingness, and interest to create a better future. And that's what I walked away with really excited about. That's delightful. Um, <laughs> is there anything else I you wanted to discuss as we sort of wrap up here? Uh, you know, we, we would love any students that hear this, that if they would like to join our journey, uh, we, we'd like to build a community. We have a Slack channel. We're all learning together. And the only way we do that is when people put a, their feet into the game and, and they they want to play a role. I'm hoping that if we're able to keep this up for a while, we'll emerge some thought leaders who, you know, might go off as they pursue their careers or pursue their their lives that they want to do something that helps create a better future. So uh, if anyone wants to contact Tara, myself, Bruce, uh, ourmedia.org, we'd, we'd love to have you join the conversation. Thank you so much, David. This has been Holly Pearson for KCSB News.